often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? Me, I have been good. Tired, but good. It's, it's fine. Um, life has been doing its thing, but I'm trying my best to keep the peace despite the, the turbulence that is life. But anyway, I am not going to blabber the way I typically do. I am just going to hop right into the conversation because sometimes I feel that the creator sends us exactly what we need on time. And sometimes when we are in our heads and we're not sure if what we are feeling is accurate or if we're bugging or if we're tripping or what we're experiencing is actually happening or if we are on the right paths and all of those things. I think that sometimes whenever we have a level of doubt, the creator will send somebody to to give you affirmation that whatever you are experiencing, whatever you are planning or whatever you are, whatever is on your heart and in your mind is right. And this was the situation with um, today's guest. So I had been in contact with her team um, throughout the summer and we had a couple of scheduling hiccups, so we weren't able to connect. Um, it, long, it most likely was on my end because I had a interesting summer. Um, but when we did connect, it was like speaking to somebody that I had already known before, but even deeper than that, somebody who had already known me. And I just came away from the conversation so blessed. Um, Yeah, I I was moved to tears because I just felt so seen by her. And I already told you, but um, Dr. Wilborn, thank you so much for that conversation. Even in re-listening to the conversation and reliving it, um, as I edited this episode, I was moved again. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And this is why I'm so grateful to do this. I get a chance to speak to women who are not in my physical community, but they've now become part of my community. And it's just priceless um, to be seen, to be heard. Um, and, And I hope that you are able, that you feel the same whenever you turn on this podcast, that you feel the same um, as I do when I'm speaking to the guests and listening as well. So who is the guest? I already told you her name. She is Dr. Tammy Lewis Wilborn. She is a New Orleans native, and that is my favorite accent of all time. Um, She is a mental health and wellness expert, author, and speaker whose transformative messages inform, inspire, and ignite audiences to live, love, and to lead. She is a retired board-certified licensed professional counselor, supervisor, with over 20 years of professional experience. Um, She is also the author of Playing a New Game, A Black Woman's Guide to Well-Being and Thriving in the Workplace. Playing a New Game offers Black women a new way forward in which ambition and wellness can not only coexist, but bolster each other. With insights from her extensive professional counseling experience and research, Dr. Wilborn expands the dialogue on Black women's experiences on race. I'm sorry. 
Black women's experiences of race and gender stereotypes as work as a wellness issue and provides evidence-based best practices that promote self-care and self-empowerment as necessary tools for professional success. As you may know, the research shows that Black women are the the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. And a lot of that reason is because um, we are trying to leave toxic workplaces. If you've ever been in a workplace where you have experienced microaggressions or even macroaggressions, you've been passed up for promotions, um, you've been made to feel unqualified even though you are overqualified, you know how that seeps into your everyday life. And because we spend so much time at work, um, oftentimes even more time with our own families, that trickles into our overall well-being. It's hard if you're in a really toxic space to separate and compartmentalize what you're experiencing at work from everything else. So if you are in a, a workspace where let's say for eight, nine, 10 hours of the day, you are on edge, your blood pressure is high because your stress hormones are through the roof, it is hard to turn that off as soon as you walk in the house. Um, your especially if your blood pressure is elevated for let's say those eight nine ten hours of the day for five six days a week your blood pressure at that point after a while is chronically elevated so i say all that to say that our work experiences absolutely play a huge role in our well-being not only our physical well-being absolutely our mental well-being, our relationships, and so much more. So this conversation goes into all of that and um, and then some. So I will stop so you can go ahead and enjoy the conversation. As always, thank you so, so much for joining. I am so glad you're here. Be well, sis. So today I have Dr. Wilborn on with us. Um, she is many things, um, but what we'll be speaking about today is um, talking about her expertise and how Black women can really thrive um, in the workplace. So before we get into all of that, how are you doing? You know what? I am well. I'm, I'm well. I started my day at four o'clock this morning. I'm still here. I'm still caffeinated. I got my refill. So I'm I'm well. How are you? I am good. I was just telling you behind the scenes that you already had a day. Like I did. If you've been up since four, like you've accomplished... <laughs> so much more than I have like you've just been doing it already um I hope to one day become one of those morning people but I always time at night is my problem I it's funny because um, I haven't always been this yeah. is a new thing like I've just yeah I would say within the last probably two years or so um settled into sort of a rhythm where I couldn't stay up late like I used to I, I was a self-identified night owl and then I just it just got to a point where I started going to bed early, so I wake up early. So here we are. <laughs> I love that for you. One day I'm going to get there. You know what it is? I waste so much time at night. When I put the kids to sleep, I feel like those few hours is like my time. And then yes. I wasted doing things that really, it's not that I'm working. I'm not at my desk anymore. I'm literally just scrolling. And mm -hmm. But anyway. <laughs> yes. So let us talk about work. Um, a lot of the Black women are entering into the space of entrepreneurship because not necessarily because that was like the the goal, the, the main goal, but because they were pushed into entrepreneurship because of toxic workspaces. 
And now because the way things are going with the economy, a lot of us are going back into corporate. So my question is, before we get into how to thrive, how did you even arrive to this um, as your your focus, as your work? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me. I think it's such a pleasure to be able to have these conversations um, broadly and widely. Um, it's a topic I've been researching, writing, and speaking about for over 10 years and living all my life, most of my life, my working life anyway, right? And so uh, I think the idea that uh, Black women are returning back to corporate spaces or agencies or companies, as well as emerging in large numbers. We're one of the largest groups of entrepreneurs Black women are, right? Yeah. And so uh, workplace is, for Black women, work has always, is and always has been a situation, right? Um, when you think about historically Black women and Black girls and our roles as enslaved workers, uh, the sexual and labor exploitation of Black female bodies at work for the purpose of profit uh, and pleasure, if you will, has always been a situation which has created this ongoing context um, that distorts the ways in which Black women and Black females are seen at work, right? Mm -hmm. And so how I came into this work is, so this, this I would say this specific focus for me, uh, so I'm a retired licensed professional counselor. I had a private practice. Uh, I taught at the graduate level, taught counseling for a number of years. Uh, and during my time working in a space where I was working for a large nonprofit company, I was the senior clinical leader at the time. I was the only black female in that role. We heard the struggles of the only. Yep. And uh, I came to this work because of a personal experience in that space where I experienced workplace discrimination and uh, decided to fight that particular experience. I, I um, sought the help of the equal the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which is the federal agency that that you would go to if you wanted to file a charge of discrimination. And what happened to me in that experience, um, I don't think I could anticipate. Right, like. I knew that the fight for me, that that particular fight wasn't about keeping the job because at that point I knew I couldn't be with it. I couldn't be there anymore. The betrayal, the, you know, I've been there for a number of years and to get to a point where my, um, I was being discriminated against. It was like, I'm out of here. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fight was about my rights, my reputation, uh, and my name. But what I didn't anticipate with the fight was the mental and physical health complications that came with that, right? Mm. And so, um, and I talk about this in my book, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about later because the book is sort of a culmination of that experience, but uh, it happened to be coinciding at the time where I was a doctoral student at University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And so I think my experience, like many women, when we have these situations that work specifically when we're talking about discrimination, a lot of times it feels, we feel isolated in the experience. You know, it's yeah. like, is this just happening to me? Yeah. Does this happen to other Black women? Like, is this a thing? Right. And of course, we know it's a thing, but for some reason, when it happens to us, we're like, well, maybe this is just me, right? This is something right. about me in this space that this is causing this to happen. 
And so because I was a doc student at the time, I decided to look to the research, right? What does the research tell us about these experiences? And what's interesting about the research and how I even, how it even became a research topic was, so the situation was I had a, a performance review, a low performance review out the blue, right? Like all the years before I was right Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I get this performance review that was unjustified unwarranted right and so I'm like help me understand how we get here right and uh the response was uh from a from my white female supervisor at the time well Tammy we know you're an overachiever but a three is actually really good right and I'm like lying detail we're not even about to do that you been right there. there. There's a knowing, right? There's a you're shaking your head because there's a knowing, mm-hmm. there's a knowing. And I think in that moment, not not only do you you feel where I'm going with that, but in that moment there was that knowing, that knowing of like, mm, right? We 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 not finna do this, right? Like what, what we not about to do is this, right? And so the overachiever. I, I know this is a long answer and I'm going to wrap, I'm going to swing back around. <laughs> the overachiever was the thing that really tipped me mm-hmm. because there's something about being called an overachiever as a black woman that I felt like, well, what you're really trying to say is I'm doing too much, right? Mm-hmm. I'm doing too much. I'm out of place. You know, you're an overachiever, which is different than high achiever. Mm-hmm. So overachiever was the word, was my entry point to the research. And what I found was a couple of things. One, I found that it does happen to a lot of black women, right? More often than we like to to, to acknowledge. Yep. But what I also found in the research is that what was absent um, was research that really understood those experiences from a broader level, not just black women at the top, but what about the black women that are working in lower status positions? And so that, that my research <laughs> became my research which then became a clinical focus in my practice where a lot of the women that I saw, a lot of the clients I saw were black women who um, weren't always coming to me for work-related issues. But when I dug deep, work was a situation. It was a stressor. Sadly. And so ultimately, yeah, sadly, but then ultimately that led to me writing this book, uh, which you can't see because of my lovely black background, but it's a, uh, playing a new game, a black woman's guide to being well and thriving in the workplace. So I'll, I'll just pause there, but yeah, it was a winding road. Yeah. And, sure. um, a, I just had a flashback to a similar performance review. Um, at the time on my team, I was like the, I had the highest level of impact, like documented impact, but I had a, I was passed up for a promotion and B um, I got a three and I was just like a three, like, <laughs> and in the review, he said, well, you know, at, you know, after I did not get the promotion, he's like, you know, you're like the lead, you are the leader on this team. I know the team looks to you for direction, for counsel, like for counsel, like, you know, you do really well, but you know, I can't give everybody a five. I don't care about everybody else. Mm-mm. And, and, and so I have two thoughts. So one thing that you mentioned in the beginning that I didn't even connect was our experience, like historically, our experience as Black women in America in work and how our labor was extracted. And I always think about how they always talk about how 
we, what is the word? How we, um, even though we did not physically experience it, but like the epigenetics of it all, right? Um, our The experience of our ancestors, like we carry that trauma too. So that made me think about, we talk about us and it, we should. What about them? You know what I mean? And I think you made that connection for me just now about mm-hmm. how historically they have viewed our bodies and our labor and our place in the workplaces, whether it's on the plantation, whether it's in a corporate building. And something about the way you put it just like really tied it together. Um, so that was one thing. And the other thing that I thought about is you made a distinction between being overachiever and a high achiever. Can we talk about that really quickly? So sure. what are the differences? Absolutely. So what was unique about the term overachiever and how this even evolved to uh, how this evolved to a specific research topic, which was so my research was um, understanding the experiences of low income black women with race and gender stereotypes in the workplace. So overachiever, the research showed was a specific type of stereotype applied to black women who were high achievers. Mm-hmm. And it's a stereotype because stere- what stereotypes do is they distort the perception and the treatment of black women, right? They 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 move the gains past our humanity to something that is other. Yep. And so as an overachiever, what you're telling me is I'm doing too much. I'm out of place, right? You for who you are, yeah. you shouldn't be in that spot or yeah they're, they're looking up to you and and you are a leader but you're not an excellent leader you're just sort of average right yeah. and so when we think about stereotypes and the connection that that historic the historical connection what what my what what we know is that in order to justify the sexual and labor exploitation of black females in enslaved females and this growing population of slave, this growing slave population that included what they would call back then mulattoes, mm-hmm. there was a need for the white slaveholding society. You mentioned what about them? There was a need to turn the gains away from these enslaved females, or, or rather, turn the gains away from the white uh, slaveholding members and those that were that were sexually assaulting these women and men let's be clear mm-hmm. to say that uh these black females wanted it right that yeah. black females were lascivious and hypersexual and barbaric and their bodies were commodified and so stereotypes then emerge as a way to shift the gains to justify yep historically what's happened and then what we know in contemporary society is that these stereotypes are perpetuated in media. So in music and film and TV and all of these different media, we know that the stereotypes live on. And by the time we show up to work, because, you know, again, by the time we show up to work, the stereotypes show up with us, right? Yep. And unless you're working for an in- entity that is invested in seeing your humanity, what they see is your inhumanity. And oftentimes the stereotypes have shaped that, right? And so I think what 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 was unique about the work that I did, specifically the work that I do around Black women and Black women's wellness, is helping Black women to see 
first of all, the implications of when your humanity is not seen. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when somebody is dealing with you? I'm talking to you like this, but because you see black women as angry, you know, and I've had this, I've had time, you certainly have, and all of you, you know, those that I'm talking to you like this, but because I'm not uh, being accommodating or at work, if I'm not acting like I'm grateful, then all of a sudden I'm being difficult or being angry. The reason why you say that is because you can't see me through a lens other than yep. that which is angry or that which is, right? right? And so a lot of the work that I do with Black women in the wellness space, oh, oh, and let me say this. I have to also say this because it isn't just, and this is where, this is where I really try to punctuate in the work and what my work tries to do is it's not just injurious when these stereotypes affect how others see and treat us, but what's often more injurious is when we internalize those stereotypes to affect how we see and treat ourselves, Yeah, right? And so a lot of the deconstruction is not only around stereotype, being stereotyped by other folks, but then the stuff we believe about ourselves. And then reconstructing beliefs and value systems that move us beyond uh, spaces that move us beyond beliefs in which we cannot be well, whole, and free. That was a long answer. I know, but this is what happens when you get a former therapist talking. We just talk too much because we always listen to folks. It's not too much. No, I love it. I was digesting and processing all that you were saying. Um, one thing that um, that last piece really spoke to me again, uh, the deconstruction of what of how I view myself, you know, um, just going back to, you know, being told that, you know, you're doing you're an overachiever. Right. For me, what I the way I internalized and the way I took it was just like, well, Maybe I, to an extent, I was like, well, maybe I should be happy that I did get this little bit of raise. I didn't get the promotion, but I'll get it next time. And I should be happy to be here. And I should be happy to so I try to like justify it in my mind. And I feel like in having conversations with, uh, with my other girlfriends who have been in similar situations, I think we commonly do that. You know, like, well, maybe, maybe it is me. Maybe I am too much. Like maybe, you know, I don't fit in. Maybe... I, whatever, you know, like we do internalize that. So my question for you is how do we, like, what is the first step even in deconstructing how we see ourselves and all the things that we've been fed and we've internalized throughout our our, our lives? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think it's important to have a level of self-awareness, right? And I think one of the beauty, one of the beautiful things about therapy both as someone who has uh, provided therapy, but also as someone who has been in therapy just as long as I've been providing it, is that it gives you a level of clarity and self-awareness about some of the messages that you believe about yourself, you know, yeah. the, the, the the way that you identify yourself, your sense of self-worth and, and worthwhileness. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book this, you know, the book is really an opportunity to, I kind of do this broad swath because part of that work is not just self-care strategy, you need to eat, drink, water, so on and so forth, but it's also getting folks to think about how they think about their thinking. 
mm. right? This thing that we call meta metacognition. So metacognition is thinking about your thinking. Mm. What are the things you're telling yourself? And three things I say, is it true? Right. Is what you're saying about yourself true? How you know that? Right. What's your evidence? Is it helpful? In other words, does it move you in a in a desired direction? And thirdly, is it healthy? Right. Mm -hmm. Does it promote well-being and wellness and optimal function? And so I always start with self-awareness because your ability to have self-awareness and therefore self-worth becomes the thing that grounds you and anchors you when the winds blow mm. right because they will blow yep but when you have a sense of self and a sense of self-worth the winds will blow and you will blow with and flow with but you won't break yeah. and i think oftentimes why we get into uh quandaries about well maybe it is, it is this or that is because we haven't really taken the time to ask some of those deeper existential questions who am I what do I value you know what what do I believe about myself where did those messages come from and so a lot of that deconstruction is really being able to ask yourself some of those deeper existential questions who am I what do I value right and sometimes that you do better to do that in concert with someone like a therapist or a coach, right? Uh, but I think self-awareness is the first place to start. You have to have a sense of who you are and who you are not. Mm, yes, yes. Ooh, so I have been... Uh, Come on now. Yeah, you are who you're not. <laughs> yes, yes. Um Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. All so, the things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I am constantly online. It's something I need to, I'm, I'm working on. And one of the things that I see a lot on like therapy, mental health, TikTok is you are not your thoughts. And, you know, just to let your thoughts go by. But I love what you just said, the metacognition part. Like, think about your thoughts, don't let them be passive. Because I know for somebody like me, if my inner critic, my inner, if, yeah, my, if my inner thought, my inner person, my inner being is naturally harder on myself than I am on the world and those around me, right? If I constantly just let that inner voice just like say things that are not true, um, that really have no evidence to prove like that are me, like they're there. And they're reinforcing negative ideas about my worth. So now whenever I'm confronted with a situation, um, an external force that tells you that I am less than, I'm more likely to believe that as well. So I think that is so powerful to ask ourselves these questions. And I'm so thankful that you mentioned that um, because we do have to really monitor our thoughts. Don't I don't think we should be passive about the thoughts that come and go like, Hold on. What what was that? Why did we say that? And all the three questions that you mentioned to ask ourselves um, in regard to that. And then I also yeah. love not only who are we, but who are we not? Yes. Yes. Because cause that's where shame lives. Mm. The part of who we are not is the part we try to hide from. That's the part we try to 
you know, we don't want people to see that part of who we're not, right? Because if they see who I'm not, they might not like that part. But who I am and who I'm not is who is me. All of that's me, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, part of, I think, wellness, part of that self-awareness is indeed anchored in your ability to truthfully, honestly, helpfully, and helpfully say, this is who I am, mm-hmm. right? But this is who I'm not. And that's good. That's okay, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say something really quick, and then I'll pause because I, you know, I, I get excited. This is a topic <laughs> I live, love, because I think that when when I'm well, you're well. When you're well, we're well. Our communities are better. So I love this conversation. I'm so grateful that you invited me to have it with you. It's not just thinking what we're thinking, but thinking affects feeling, affects behavior. Yes, yes. So if I think. I should be grateful for the little rays that they gave me. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel guilty that I'm having the thought, right? Or right, that I'm mm-hmm. I feel guilty that I'm 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 looking for a five instead of a three. I feel uh I feel bad, like maybe something's wrong with me. So then mm-hmm. what do I do? I'm either going to and I'm just sort of hypothetically using mm-hmm. what what was presented in our conversation. So there's a number. What did you do? Let's let's do, let's go there. So what 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 did you do because of that thinking of like hmm, I should be maybe? Can you do you mind sharing like how that yeah. changed your behavior? Yeah. So then I was like, well, maybe excuse me, maybe I am entitled. Maybe I feel like I have done more, I've contributed more to the team than I actually have, or maybe I should be more humble. Um, and how did that humility quote? look for me it looked more like now I'm being less assertive you know it means that now I am just like making myself smaller in meetings in interactions with my team and in other teams and yeah I felt I just so now I like I put a limitation on myself yeah you know yeah yeah you're le- not even leading the, the thing that the thing that that brought you the level of recognition, right? Leading more and leading more fully. Now you're leading less. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Which then has its own impact because now the next review is well, we're noticing that you're not doing right. It becomes this dangerous thing versus where you just think, uh, I believe that this rating does not reflect what you just said. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You have said that I am doing thus, this, and so. That's pretty line up with the right. Then you might feel justified mm-hmm. and feel okay with, or or at least motivated to to pursue. First of all, you're going to keep leading likely, right? Mm-hmm. But then it might also be now we're having a different conversation because now I need you to help me to understand why there is an incongruence between my level of performance and how I've been evaluated. Right. 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 So now my action is not that I'm shrinking, but now I am stepping into rightfully and stepping into and rightfully continuing the danger that I have been that you have recognized but you failed to evaluate me appropriately. Right. And that's so yeah. 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 And and e- even just as I'm thinking more about the, that particular situation, what I also did 
not only did that happen in my workplace, because now I've made myself smaller, now I'm walking around with frustration because the idea that I would have presented, now I'm no longer presenting. And I'm seeing things that could be fixed because I'm a fixer. Um, sure. I'm not speaking up about it. So now I go home and I'm frustrated. And now I take my frustrations out on my partner. I take my frustrations out on my child. You know, like just it triggers because we spend so much time at work, more time at work from a lot of us than we do yes. with our own families. So whatever we're feeling for the majority of the day, we're going to carry that on when we leave the workplace. And especially like for those who actually their workplace is home, like that's even amplified more. Um, so my question for you is, so you presented us with thoughts that ways that we should um, monitor our thoughts and questions that we should ask ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, how did you see um, your experience with workplace discrimination? How did that manifest, if at all, like in your physical being? Thank you for bringing that up because that's what in my mind I was thinking, what, you know, what we talk less about in these spaces around workplace is the impact on our mental and physical health. Yeah. Um, when I was in the midst of the EEOC complaint and there was, you know, sort of an uncertainty about what that would look like, mentally what I noticed was anxiety. You know, whenever I would have to meet with the supervisor and the way that my supervisor structure was set up is I actually had to meet with the person I directly reported to. And then because I was working across states in several teams, I had another indirect supervisor, both white females. And when I noticed that whenever we, there was, and we met by phone, so we were doing remote back then, mm -hmm. um, I felt anxious. Like my heart would be beating fast and, you know, there was a shakiness. I did felt anxious. Um, it also affected my depression, right? So there were episodes of depression, crying. You know, I talk about this in the book, by the way, did I? The book is Playing a New Game, A Black Woman's Guide to Being Well and Thriving in the Workplace. And you can find it online, wherever books are sold. Um, but I actually talk about this incident in the book where, you know, I would be breaking down in class because at the time I was a doc student, you know, having these emotional breakdown at work, at school, at home, wherever, um, because of it, I had migraines, I had sleep disruption, I had weight gain, I was an excessive drinker, mm -hmm. right? So to cope with what was happening, yep. and again, I talk about this in the book, where I got to the point where I was drinking and there was an incident where I passed out and, you know, for hours, my family was like, where is she? And I was sleep behind the wheel passed out oh, wow. because I was drinking to cope. Yeah. My hair was falling out. My lashes were falling out. Um, so there was this physical and mental health, um, these different physical and mental health manifestations mm -hmm. of the stress of fighting simply for my name, for my rights mm -hmm. and my reputation. Mm. And that was during the fight. So we're not even talking about what was happening before. And so that was why I think it became really important for me in this space that I'm in is to punctuate specifically the, you know, we know that when we get discriminated against, we know when there is bias in the workplace that there are professional implications to promotion and, and you know, uh, retention and hiring. 
Mm-hmm. But the public conversation had been specifically at that time and maybe a bit more now is less about the health, the, the personal implications, the mental implications, the the physical, even the spiritual, yeah. right? God was going on, you know, for me, I'm a woman of faith, right? Like, right, it's really going on. And so one, you know, going back to a question you asked earlier, not only is self-awareness essential, but so is self-care. Because that is usually the first thing that goes out the window. I'm not eating right. I'm not sleeping right. I'm not drinking. You know, I'm not doing the things that, you know, our bodies by their base, your physician, you know, this. our bodies by basic design don't care about perception, don't care about people pleasing. It is designed in its very nature for us to survive. Yeah. Yep. And it's just some stuff your body needs. Yes. You got to go to sleep. <laughs> you got to drink water. You got to eat the right stuff or your stomach going to be a hot mess. You got to do these things. Right, right. But we don't do them when we're under stress. Yeah, when workplace stress is the issue, mm-hmm. it impacts us well, how we take care of ourselves and how we show up to take care of the people that that love us and need us, need yeah. us and want us in their lives. Absolutely. That you mentioned about how it all translates into our self-care and and our health is impacted makes me think about how Black women overall have shorter lifespans than our counterparts. And this one story during the this few past few days really like set like struck with me uh, or like bothered me because um I used to, I'm from the tri-state area, so I used to live in New Jersey. So we got like the New York news and one of the meteorologists was just like jolly and just beautiful and black. And she was 51 years old and she just, she just died over the, um, over the like weekend, I believe. And her co-hosts were like tearfully like sharing the news this past Monday. And they're like, they don't know what happened and what made, and it just made me think about it's so common for us to just die so prematurely, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, what's, I I think a lot of us can relate to knowing, having an auntie that just like, maybe she had just retired and then she didn't even get to enjoy her retirement. Um, Or like a friend who just out of nowhere seemed healthy, seemed fine, and then just died. Like all of this like weighs on us. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we would like really understand that when something affects one part of our lives, it infects our total being. Like where our mental health and our work life and our relationships are not separate things. Like they all, like we're one vessel, right? And it's just a domino effect and, and it breaks my heart. And I think a lot of us have kind of accepted that this might be our fate and it doesn't have to be. It really, it doesn't have to be. And I, I saw that that story that you're talking about with the meteorologist. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, whenever those, when I hear stories like that and, and others where th- there may have been a known illness or not, you know, it often makes me think about the importance. Um, one, it makes me think about stereotypes. Because again, when I think about the, the stereotype of strong black woman, you know, one of the challenges of that stereotype that we know is that it affects health speaking, right? So when Black women internalize the idea of strong Black woman, we're not as apt 
to listen to our bodies when our bodies are telling because by design yep. it's important it's supposed to tell us when something yep. is off we don't do a very good job at times of listening to our bodies when we internalize this notion of strong black woman and so we're not going to the doctor when perhaps we, we have that yep. pain or that strain you know we're not seeking out mental health uh professionals yep. when we are sadder longer than perhaps is um helpful right and now it's becoming impairing you know we're not we're not seeking out these different um mechanisms for ensuring optimal health because we have not internalized that we need our body is something to be honored that it is a badge of dishonor Mm. it is a badge of dishonor when we listen to anybody other than our own body. And I think, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they do. To me. <laughs> yeah, I do. It, it, yeah. And it's a message I have to, I have had to, you know, I, when I talk, when I do this work and I talk about this work, I'm not talking about black women as just like over there. I'm talking also about this one, right? Yeah. The, 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 the constant ongoing work that I have to do to make sure that I'm listening to my body, right? Not, and so uh, when I think about the meteorologists and when I think about us in other spaces, uh, we're just not doing a good job of taking care of ourselves. And then the other thing that's interesting is that our culture, let's talk about us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of uh, normalize not getting help. We normalize that time. I think we're doing a better job. We're in a different sort of zeitgeist, if you will, and we're talking more mm-hmm. about mental health and well-being, your physical care. Still got a long way to go. But we we don't celebrate often or often enough when we are taking individual steps to take care of ourselves, right? You start eating different and people are like, oh, you're eating, you know, Oh, you you just eat, you eat rabbit food, you know, or you yeah, you go work yeah. out in the rain, yeah. Because if I don't, my mood gonna be a situation. Like I have to work out, right? Um, and so there are all of these different forces that Black women are competing with. You know, barriers to accessing medical care, right? Yeah. Accessing uh, affordable care. There's mm-hmm. you know work, you know. If you're blessed to have a job or a career where you have a flexible work schedule and can schedule your appointments during the day and not have an issue, that's fantastic. But for the majority of working Black women, they don't have flexible work schedules, right? Right. I had clients that could come see me in therapy in the middle of the day, but the majority of clients had to see in the afternoon. And so I'm saying all of that in response to your point is that there are all of these different competing ways that yep. below black women right yep and if we are not rooted in because the way it's gone below we already established that yeah if we're not rooted in belief systems where we say to ourselves i know it's raining outside like i did this morning i looked out the window i said the rain up black and i could lay here a little bit longer and then after the inner the podcast i could go work out but tammy no tammy if Tammy don't get out at nine, the the gym ain't gonna happen in that twelve. It ain't because now I'm right. Mm-hmm. We have to be rooted in a level of self awareness mm-hmm. where we say to ourselves, "I'm worth 
the effort that I'm investing in myself, even if nobody else believes. Yeah. So when it stops being trendy to be well, when we stop mm-hmm. talking about self-care and it's no longer cool and be on to something else, you got to still be talking about it and doing it because that's what you need. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and to your point, you said earlier, like, it's a constant practice. It's constant. You know, when I first really started to look into forget health, but really into like my well-being, I thought like, you know what? I'm a like, there's a finish line to this. I'm a be well. And I've quickly learned that, no, it is a continual practice learning and unlearning and reminding myself of the things that I need you know, to to feel my best and to do my best and to be my best. Um, and, and one thing that I, I really have, I want to emphasize to those who are listening too, is it's so important to be mindful of who you surround yourself with, you know, because if you're around people who are going to nitpick what you eat and nitpick what you do for fun or to feel good about yourself, you're going to be less likely to be successful, whatever that looks like for you, right? Yeah. So we need to do this in community. Like find your people and like, let's hold each other accountable. It's so, so important because we can do it solo. It's just going to be so much harder. And yeah, that that's yeah. where I'm at right now. Yeah. Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. That's actually a chapter in the book, find your people, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because we're not, you can do it alone, but should you? We're right. not meant. We're not meant to. Right by design, mm-hmm. our body, our body is a is a living um, example of interdependence. Mm-hmm. Right, our body represents interdependence. So, in life, we need each other. Right, we 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 thrive best in community. But you said something that I want to not only I want to I want to say yes, like finding people, but related to that, it's also being willing to set boundaries. Mm. Boundaries has become a new buzzword. Boundaries is one of my favorite things, but that could be because I'm a therapist by training. But what I think I would like to sort of say about boundaries is boundaries are for you, right? And so the people who often don't like when you set boundaries don't like those boundaries because they benefit from you not having them. Yep. Mm. Right? Yep. You benefited from me not having a boundary around my time, especially at work, right? So you benefited you're an employer. The employer benefits from uh, working me 10 jobs and paying me barely for the one that I'm hired for, right? In my family, uh, you benefit when, um, you you know, you get out of me whatever it is that you want to get out of me if I put aside the thing that I need to do to do the thing you want me to do, right? And and you can be very, these folks can be well in teach, right? Oftentimes, they mm-hmm. but because we haven't done a good job of teaching them how to treat us, because mm-hmm. you got to teach people how to treat you. Yeah, but you can't teach them well if you don't see yourself as well, if you don't see yourself as worthy of wellness and well-being. And so part of part of the community, you know, having your finding your people is once you take in stock and inventory of your community and the people who are in the community with you are supposed to be there, then you have to teach them how to treat you and also let them know what kick you're on. 
right? So I would love to, um, I mean, I'm not trying to pick off food, but food is the most easiest thing because this is something that I'm constantly having to, you know, people, oh, you, you brought, you brought a salad for the, for the potluck for yourself. Because I know that you, you know, you all are going to have some amazing food that I'm going to overindulge because I'm like Oprah. I, I love bread. Thank you. Say, <laughs> but my gut don't like bread, right? My gut right. health doesn't like mm-hmm. bread. Mm-hmm. You know, my digestive tract doesn't like bread. Anyway, so mm-hmm. finding your community is also about setting boundaries with those who you deem appropriate to be in the community. But it's also being able to say to some folks, listen, if you can't grow with me, you can't go with me. And listen, ain't no hard feelings because everything have a season and so do relationships. So it's not personal, it's seasonal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's a hard one right there. That's so tough. Oh, that is. So it's tough. Oh. Sometimes, you know, speaking from my experience, uh-huh. I get used to people. I'm a creature of habit. Like yes. if I, I rock with you, I want to rock with you forever. Even though sometimes I can recognize that, you know what, I'm doing this thing, you're doing that thing, and we're growing apart, but I'm, I still hold on. That That's a tough one. Now, listen, I was literally, as I was thinking about our conversation day today, because I'm in the midst of it, because sometimes I'm, I mean, and I think, and I don't know if this is, I don't want to generalize this statement, but I'm going to just generalize it. You can correct me. I think that most black women specifically are that we're loyal. We rock, we ride or die, we ride or die, mm-hmm. long hard. If I'm with you, I'm with you. If I'm fool with you, I'm fool with you, right? Like we're like mm-hmm. that. And so if I'm with you, I, I roll with you. I rock with mm-hmm. you, my people, right? The problem is oftentimes we our our loyalty to others leads to disloyalty to ourselves. So in my own to being loyal to you, I become disloyal to me. Eh. But I gave me chills. Eh. But I expect loyalty from you, although I'm modeling disloyalty to me. Oh gosh. Listen, why are you coming for me today? What did I do to you? Not what did I do to you? This <laughs> is nothing but spirit. Spirit do what he do. Spirit does what spirit does. Right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's not that, right? Can we just sit there? Let's just sit there. Mm. In my life. Comfortable. Come on. Yeah. Let's sit there. Let's sit there. I feel something, something is happening in me right now. So let's just sit there. Mm. In my loyalty for you. I'm disloyal to myself, but I keep expecting loyalty from you. Mm. My God. And I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm resentful. I'm because re- I'm trying to figure out why you not giving me what I'm giving you. But I'm not giving me <laughs> what I'm giving you. And that's who you're learning from. That's what you're listening to. Yep. You listen to how I treat me. Yep. Not how I how I'm treating you. And I think oftentimes the problem, Doctor Dunbar, is that we 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 try to out loyal, out good, outdo somebody's bad bad intention. In other words, 
Mm-hmm. The more I overextend myself, I'm trying to undo that thing in you. Mm-hmm. But that's not my work. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But that's how we were raised. That's how that is. That's been the model of a good black woman. Since we were children, we were taught like that is a marker of a good black woman. You know, like we watched our aunties, our, our grandmothers, maybe our mothers, sisters, whatever, like endure. And we're like, and people would say, oh, that's a good woman for enduring. We're like, okay, so that's what I'm going to do too. I'm going to be like a good woman. I'm going to do all the things that they did, not realizing how toxic it is and how how much they were probably hurting so much inside because of it behind that loyalty they were it could and again it might be a model of a good black woman but it ain't a model of a well black and hello because i know for a fact the women that i'm talking and thinking about right now they weren't well i know they weren't yeah true true i can see what they weren't doing for themselves i could tell with how they were treating me right and yep. I'm talking, and I'm not, and I'm let, let, you know, I'm gonna keep it 100. I keep saying at some point, I'm gonna mm-hmm. really talk about this, like, really talk about it. But I'm talking about mothers, I'm talking about grandmothers, which I actually do talk about this in the book. Like, I love my mom and my grandmother, those are the two women who really set the stage for me in a lot of ways, but they were cocky and <laughs> they were a whole and it, and it made it complicated for me. Because on the one end, there are these, you know, and again, going back to what you said earlier, we empathize, like we we see the struggle, we were part of the struggle, we were the reason for the struggle, some of them, you know, would let us remind us Mm -hmm. of that. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, we were also bearing the brunt and the burden of what happens when you're a good Black woman, but you're not a well. Mm. So now you're not treating me right. My God, you're not talking. Go ahead. What's what's happening for you right now? Like I this is like no. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a part two of a conversation that I had with my best friend yesterday. I called her at my wits end. Like, girl, I gotta talk. Like, if you have the space and the bandwidth to hear me right now, please listen. And it pretty much was talking about my mother I guess I didn't realize I had mother wounds you know um I try to suppress things and I try to see the good you know mm-hmm. like let me put a, a pin there because you said something and I'm gonna come back back to it okay how they reminded us how sometimes they like we were the reason they had to endure that is abusive and I know what you're talking about because same because this is my philosophy. I always say this because I, I I hate the the burden that I felt of that feeling for mm-hmm. so long that with my kids, I always remind myself. And when I talk to God, like I may be stressed behind these children, but I asked you for them. Yeah. They didn't ask to be brought into the ether. I called them here. So let me never say a word that makes them feel like their existence is a burden. Yes. The majority of my life, I have felt that me just being here has been a burden and mm-hmm. has been too much for her. But like, I never be to here. be here. I didn't give you no consent to bring me into this planet. Like, nope. okay. And that whole attitude, and this was told to um, my girlfriend yesterday about that whole attitude still persists even today. Mm-hmm. Like that sense of 
now it's like entitlement. Yeah. Like, well, you owe I me. brought you here. <laughs> you owe me. And I'm just like, I do all that I can for you. Yep. But I'm sorry, but right now you're like number three or number four because I have two kids, husband. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal. Yeah. And this, we were talking about, she was saying how like, you know, the struggle that I can see you having is that she can be so much to other people and like gives you nothing. And and she's like, Cass is because she sees you as an extension of herself. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, girl. And she's like, if she can't give herself nothing, she's not going to give you nothing either, even if it's just a kind word. And I was just like, okay. And all that you just said, like, was like reinforcing that and how I need to place firm boundaries mm-hmm. from my wellness. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to be good for my kids, I got to be good for me first. Yes, absolutely. Listen, I already know God is in this space. Yes. Let me say this. There's so much I can say, but I'll, I'll try to be concise. Um, and I actually do talk about this in the book, too, as I was sharing about just sort of my mom and my sharing a bit of their work story and how their work story is a mosaic of my own. Uh, it's part of the my, my mosaic of the work story. But one of the things that I talked about is and why I brought this into the book specifically, you know, I talked about how if my mom is, you know, had this good job working for the federal government but it never seemed to be enough to keep our lights on and so we struggle mm-hmm. but then oftentimes the message was we were the reason for the struggle so much so that I can recall uh as a young adult I didn't want children because I saw children as burdensome bad and just like problematic right so I would always be like mm, I don't want kids and then at some point I was like well maybe if I have kids maybe weren't and same thing like as a mom became you know I have our family is blended his mine ours so uh his is 28 mine is 23 ours is 12 and so with the children that I birthed very intentional about being doting and and using positive and affirming words because for so much of my life uh there was a sense of burden and problem right yeah the, but but along with that was also being burdened by the struggle, their struggle and their story, specifically my mom. And so whenever, when I got to an age where I felt courageous enough to be able to say how her behaviors impacted me, her struggle always usurped my feelings. And so we could Mm. never, we could never, right? So I could never get to what was happening with me and how her behaviors were impacting me because then it became, I did my best. I did this, I did that. And so now I'm feeling guilty. So yep. what happens? My feelings now go back into the box. And we mm-hmm. never get back to it because now your story, your struggle, your, which I knew well, right, or to the extent that it was shared and I participated in it, never, I could never get there. So if I can be honest, and this is the first time that I have said this publicly and I'm okay with it, I have not spoken to my mother in almost two years. Not because mm-hmm. I don't love her. Not yeah. because I don't appreciate her, not because, because I know that I have done all that I could to have a healthy, respectful, mutually respectful relationship. But that, but that, um, that work requires we. Mm-hmm. And 
something that I, you know, people have talked about forgiveness and all this other stuff. And I think forgiveness is an important word. Like many words, we throw around, but we don't get a chance to think about what it means. What I have come to see forgiveness to mean is an acceptance and a letting go. Both. So in order for me to forgive the abuse that I incurred, I had to accept who she was and let go of the ideal of who I needed her to be. Mm. Right. The acceptance of the real, letting go of the ideal is what allows for forgiveness as I've defined it. And so with that, being able to say, I have traveled with you as far as I can come with you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I have no animus for you, Mm -hmm. uh, towards you. My heart is pure towards you. Um, has allowed a level of peace. Now, I'm being 100 with you. I have never talked about this publicly. I have this, you know, other things about our relationship. But I feel like I'm in a space to be released to say it. And I think that I'm not alone. No. 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 Freedom isn't just about racial Freedom is also about letting go of and being free from certain thoughts, certain feelings, certain actions, certain relationships that are not allowing you to be well and to be whole. Yeah. Right. And if it means that I have to let go of, you know, and when I say let go of, is is reconciliation. Not my business out here, so let you go. We out here. If reconciliation is possible, it will be because, in this case, I'm talking about my mom, but whoever I could be talking about, it will be because that person has intentionally done the work that I have been doing. Yeah. On myself to be healthy in relationship. Does that make sense, Dr. Dunbar? It makes so much sense. So much sense. So much sense. First, I, I, I want to say thank you for being open and vulnerable. Um, like, I'm honored that you let it out. Um, and I can relate to so much to what you're saying. So much to what you're saying. Oof. Yeah, it, it's a lot to process. And I'm also say that it takes a lot of courage for you to do what is best for you, especially when it comes to um, dealing with a parent. Because we're, since we're young, we're fed these ideals or thoughts about our relationship with our parents. And, the, and it should be that we just accept, <laughs> accept everything. They weaponize that one verse in the yes. Bible, um, honor thy parents and thy mother is like they weaponize it. And so it takes so much strength and courage um, to truly just do what is best for you and to accept that she may not be in a space right? she has not done the work to for you guys to reconcile at this moment. Mm-hmm. For me, I recognize that, that she has not done the work. And for the first time I said it out loud to to my friend yesterday, I was just like, you know, as I'm 
growing. And now that I see her as a woman, not just my mother, like yes. she's a fellow woman too. Yes. I see somebody who just stopped growing. Mm-hmm. And just growing stop. takes intention. Yeah. <laughs> it like, does take intention. Yes. So there are some conversations that we can't have because we are not speaking the same language. Mm-mm. And it's it's and it's this a lot of the same of what you were talking about. Like, you know, if I'm telling you, you know, the facts of what happened, but you are just like, well, I did my best and that hurts my feelings for me because we're West Indian. It's a lot, a lot of respect that mm-hmm. the word is misused. Yes. Everything is disrespectful. And I'm just like, all right, so we are not going to go anywhere. So I just don't really speak up. And and now I'm trying to process what is the balance? Like, how do I honor myself? Going back to what you were talking about. Sure. Um, yeah. How do I honor myself? But also, I don't know, speak a language that she can understand. Sure. Sure. It's a tough balance, right? And I know you were saying it takes a lot of strength and courage, but for me, it also took a lot of therapy. Like when I think about, it's it's funny because I was talking earlier about how you show up to therapy for one thing and then inevitably something else becomes the thing. And when I think about my time of therapy across the years, I mean, the very first time I saw a counselor was a school counselor because of what was happening in my home. But even then, when I saw like, a non-school counselor who was a clinical mental health counselor, my mom was the issue and she continued to be the whole time, like even as recent as, you know, recent. Um, And so I think what therapy allowed me to do, because to your point in the community, and and I have felt this isolation as well when dealing with my mom, because, you know, we tend to be pro mama. You know, we're mm-hmm. raised to be, right? Mm-hmm. And that's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, right? Mama can do no wrong. But mommy mm-hmm. is also a woman. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. With yep. strengths and struggles and issues yep. and all the trauma, all the things. Yep. Right? Yep. And so whenever I tried to talk distinctly about my relationship, there was always some pushback because I was either talking to people who had again, pro-mom, and so there was such a sort of a reverence, right? Or right. I was talking to people who have lost their moms, the motherless yeah. women, or, yeah. you know, whatever. My husband, you know, he and I, same, you know, pro-mama. Mm-hmm. And then I used to be like, but my mom and I like your mom, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it hurts me. You don't understand. And so mm-hmm. therapy gave a, an objective space. I remember the first, mo- I never forget this. I was, uh, I was, in therapy as a grad student in counseling so you know you get free counseling I was like sign me up and I remember that right like free therapy yes and I remember the therapist I don't know what I was lamenting about but it was about my mom and I suppose it had something I was sort of alluding to the fact that my mom either had done bad or was bad and the beauty of therapy is that simplicity can be so profound right and, and you know, a therapist can ask you a simple question. You're like, oh my God. And so the simple question was, is it wrong for you to see your mom is bad or having done something bad? I'm sort of paraphrasing. And that felt so smooth because mm-hmm. I had never 
outwardly allowed myself to think about her as a bad person. And I certainly yeah. wouldn't have said it to anyone because that is right. blasphemous, right? But for right. this therapist to say, well, what, what would it mean for you to think that? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, and he's like, could it be? And I'm like, you know? And so mm-hmm. having that sort of safe container for your feelings to be able to question, to grapple, and to say, no, that hurt me. And therapy mm-hmm. is beautiful for that. And so, you know, again, I keep thinking about in the book, I talk about this because um, oftentimes along with that, especially when our feelings are attached specifically to moms and people, moms, let's just say Black moms, uh, our feelings have often been minimized and ignored, weaponized, demonized, right? Just pathologized. Something wrong with you. You're yeah. crying too much. I'm crying because you hurt me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You physically did something that hurts why I'm crying. Unfortunately, I'm not like you. In so far as having suppressed the feelings, I was the crier. I am the crier, right? Mm-hmm. And so you said something that is very important, which is why acceptance and letting go became essential. What I realized, let me say this and then I'll be, I'm going to shut up. Two things. One, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. It occurred to me that as a mother, my mother is extremely proud of me. Why wouldn't she be? I have accomplished way more than perhaps he had ever imagined for herself. She is proud. Mm-hmm. As a woman, our relationship is contentious because she sees another woman who has done way more for herself than she has allowed for herself to do. That is a problem. Because the woman in her is who I'm bumping up against, not the mother. Mm-hmm. One. Two. We just we we tend to, I'm making this word up, heroize our moms. Mm-hmm. Right? They are our heroes for all the struggle, all the strife, all the stories we hear all the time. And you know, those are the things that you know it's like how you survive that. But there is no greater hurt than when you are when you bump up against your hero's humanity. And mm. that's what happens. Yeah. moms is our hero becomes human yes you feel that yes like i i have goosebumps yes yes that is what we have to heal deal with and heal from real talk yeah mm-hmm. it's the whole situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the whole this ain't just work, it's life, it's family, it's history, it's intergenerational. That's why we got to be clear on who we are because we're dealing with all that. It ain't oh. just what you're telling me at work, I am. It's what she telling me I ain't, what he telling me I ain't, what they, it's 
all that. Girl, you got to not, not say girl globally, girl. Mm -hmm. You got to be clear on who you are because you're going to be getting a lot of stuff and you got to be able to look and say, I am that and I'm not that. And I'm going to tell you what yeah. I'm going to take and what I'm not going to take. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot of us may stay in really bad, let's just say we do. just bad work situations because it feels comfortable. It feels like home in a way. It does. Like we're, we're used to being minimized. We're used to being told that we're too much. We're used to not getting um, like the amount of work that we put in. We're not getting back, you we're know? Not. It's a whole situation. That's why you have the chills and goosebumps. It's a truth. And for Black women to be well, whole, and free, we have to honor our truth. Yeah. Even if it's, it might be a little piece, it's your big piece, but we have to know that your big piece truth is a little piece truth to somebody else. Yep. Yep. But it's got to be big piece to you. Yep. I can't expect you to make my tea big. And then... Because if I'm not making a big right work, right partnership, mm -hmm. motherhood, whatever. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this this was um, <laughs> this was yeah, a conversation is, you didn't know you were gonna have. <laughs> no, I did not. And this was um, wow. the thoughts and the things that we just talked about were things that I have literally been running from myself. Mm. And God said, no, we're going we gonna to work through these feelings and you're going to sit with it. And um, Dr. Wilborn's going to tell you about yourself and it's going <laughs> to be good. <laughs> so remind me, what is the name of the book? Again, I'm definitely going to link it in the show notes. So it's an cl uh, easy click for you to purchase so the book. It, it's plan There we go. It's playing a new game, a black woman's mm -hmm. guide to being well and thriving in the workplace. And it's okay. everywhere you buy books, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, everywhere you buy books. Yes. Playing Beautiful. a new game, Beautiful. a black woman's guide to being well and thriving in the workplace beautiful um y'all go get the book as you can hear from the conversation like it is more than the workplace because we spend so much time at work like this permeates our entire lives and uh, like you said it, it it's about being well and whole and and all free. of those things well whole free. and free yes 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 it's not just enough to be here like are we really living in in, in our trueness and oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for, for showing up, being yourself and giving me all that you have. I thank you. Um, thank you. I'm honored. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.